You're experiencing the Authentic Chaos Podcast, an exploration into our inner selves and journeys of self-discovery. I'm your host, Bahagan Yarnosian, and joining me today for the third time is Tessa Heeren. She loved it so much, she decided to come back. And you know what? I really appreciate it. I appreciate when uh, every one of my guests who joins the podcast, and I especially appreciate it when guests want to come back. Because, you know, we had some great conversations, and I'm excited to see what we have in store for today. Yes, same. Thanks so much for having me back. I yeah. always have so much fun. <laughs> and just as a reminder, you are a little off, off center of your Oh, of your yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's funny because you keep arranging it and then you move back to the left. <laughs> I keep, I'm all the way to the left as I can be. Wait. <laughs> well, uh, as you adjust yourself, um, what's been what's been exciting you lately? You know, uh, as usual, a lot of my excitement comes from experiencing the new, new experiences. And uh, yeah. I'm in beautiful Chicago in the summertime right now. Nice. I've been, no offense to Iowa, trapped there <laughs> <laughs> for the entire summer. And uh, yeah, I'm just feeling the energy of the city, the chaos, the amenities. Oh my God, so world class. Nice. Uh, yeah. Love to hear that. So it's, it's been a great change of scenery. Yeah. Needed Have you gotten it. any time in the lake? Yes. I went in there twice yesterday. It's like a light, a nice ice dip. <laughs> it's always good to like feel that connection, especially on your skin. So true. Like we're There's not aquatic good, animals, uh, but um, just have we i mean like it's part of where we came from like we were like probably like proto ancestors were like amphibious in some way maybe even fish or something so like our connection with water is crucial that skin to water contact magnifique so evolutionary based i didn't even think about that we I, were just fish we were just i always like to think oof. about i always like to think about like the things that came before cuz you know it matters which is yeah, which is why, um, you know, the water quality in Iowa is so bad because of the agricultural industry, mm. which dominates the policy uh, and environmental decisions in the state in their favor. And I feel like it's such a, like, disservice. I mean, kind of like a fucking, like, violation of our rights to have water, you know, to have yeah. clean water to recreate in. And it's, it's disgusting. Isn't it crazy that the Constitution never, like, never talks about, like, what you actually, like, our basic needs as, like, human rights? Like, housing, food, and water. These are not rights enshrined in your constant in the constitution in fact the the courts have ruled in favor of privatizing all of these necessities isn't that funny it's so bad we've we would rather and this is kind of like a a great transition into uh, what we talked about talking about offline which i uh, endearingly call capitalism a love letter (laughs) thank you capitalism for 
making it so our water becomes full of pollutant, full of runoff from fertilizers, and that the only fresh sources of water get purchased by Coca-Cola or the Nestle company to produce the bottled <laughs> water that we then buy from them. It's so and much more like efficient this way. And money to the community, and they're like, we love you from Atlantic Coca-Cola. <laughs> Build a new baseball field or some shit. Yeah. yeah. All of our stadiums are named after companies. Like, do you think the Coliseum was named after Caesars R Us or something? I don't know. <laughs> I know. It really, like, yeah, it really takes some of the air out of these events when it's like the, you know, Citibank uh, mm. arena. It's just like, yeah. Some of them are a little bit more ridiculous than others. <laughs> some, of the, the, some of the smaller brands that get in on it. Yeah, yeah. Is there, there's some where I'm like, I've never even heard of this company before, but now it's like our football stadium. So that's cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah. God. Or, or you'll have things like um, in L.A., they have Crypto.com Stadium or Arena or <laughs> yeah. something. They spent like, like $40, $50 million, some insane sum of money to purchase this stadium back in the crypto boom. And I think, I don't remember correctly, but like I think they like went bankrupt or something. Something happened to Crypto.com where now it's just uh, the name of the stadium. Fuck. So funny. Um, you know, I would also uh, say thank you, capitalism, for uh, creating, for allowing us to invent creative solutions to problems of your own making, kind of cleaning up your mm. own mess. Um, I had, so um, I was looking through LinkedIn in my, uh, in a, uh, I, I guess, a moment of weakness. <laughs> I immediately turned it off because uh, I kind of despise LinkedIn as a social media platform. Even as someone who is jobless, I would rather go like put my resume down on paper and like send it to people than like use LinkedIn because it's just this. We've talked. We probably talked about this. This is this soulless void of uh, a social media platform, and more so than any other that I've seen. But oh yeah. Um, but not to distract from the point I'm trying to make. So my buddy mentioned, like, you know, people are freaking out about all of this AI stuff. They think that AI is going to cause the Terminator. Well, no. Actually, some of us are working on some, like, problems. Like, we can use AI to solve food insecurity, which is mm -hmm. great. Capitalism enables us to solve the use these new technologies, invent new technologies to solve these problems we never would have thought we could solve. Except food insecurity is a problem that doesn't have to be a problem. You don't need yes. AI to you don't need AI to solve food insecurity. You need a change in the how these food companies like what they decide they should throw away. If they decide like we make we produce enough food in the US to feed the whole world. We're an agricultural powerhouse. There's no excuse for food insecurity, let alone in our own country, but even in the world itself. I know. It's I know. This is the thing is that, you know, the the water in states like Iowa where the water quality is so bad that you can't go into it 
Yeah. Like it's 90 degrees out. You're standing by a river or a lake. And you can't go in? A body of water. You can't go in. It's disgusting. Like you can smell the water like it's frothing. Like oh, it's fucked gross. up. Oh, the water, wait, the thing. water froths? Oh my God. I'll send you a video of the Iowa River. It has like a a layer on the top of this weird like foamy. It almost looks like oil on water. Oh. It like, like you can see... You can see it. It's disgusting. Like, it's hard to even stand next to. Like, you can't even ignore it. It's, like, aggressively gross. Whoa. It's bad. And it's all in vain. You know, there's there's an idea that I could be like, well, you know, we're feeding the, feeding the world. Hungry people are eating because our water is fucked. Whatever. But, but really, a lot of the uh, agriculture that's done in Iowa goes to, one, feeding animals feeding oh, cows and stuff a lot of the corn and stuff goes to that and two producing ethanol based gasoline petroleum energy slash uh processed foods and corn syrup and all of this stuff that's actually hurting people <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah. but makes but makes some ceos and uh board owners oh, board uh, members a lot richer so Yes, yes, and they absolutely dominate the political sphere in a lot of, you know, Midwestern states. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. It's crazy how, like, you know, I live in the U.S. A lot of my friends live in the U.S., but, like, n- like I've never heard about this situation with the Iowa River. That's, like, it, it's like this is the country I live in, and, you know, we'd, we'd like to think our water is clean and pure because that's what we're told. But then you have things like this where, like you said, the agricu- like mm-hmm. agriculture controls the policy and controls the regulations. And they can say, nah, this, you know what, I think this stuff is fine for water. It kind of just dissolves and, like, you know, goes somewhere else. Yes, yes. And I can totally understand why, like, there are tons of conspiracy theories about, like, the government putting water. And in some ways, they're not wrong. I mean, like, we were just talking about Iowa. Like, the, like, runoff is putting, like, all these harsh chemicals into our water. We don't know what it's doing to our bodies. Um, Look at, like, Flint. They had lead in their water. Probably still have, they may still have lead in their water, actually. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And like there and that's not even the only city that has had lead in their water. Like there's all this case where you know, going back to these are the water is one of the keys to survival. You can't function you you just can't live without water. And so you'd hope that your society would take care of that. Would make the you pay you pay some money, some taxes Someone will come and make the water better. Put in regulations to keep the water clean, right? That's what we hope. That's what we we expect that we're buying into when we buy into this whole, like, societal contract. Totally. And it's it's, it's such a, a shame. Yeah. And, like, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. Finish that. I was going to say, it's such a shame that we choose... Um, we choose capital over people, mm. money over humans. And, yes, and 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 also the um, it's a shame that there's not that direct conflict. It's not 
clearly, uh, you know, generally aware that that this is the life that we could have, or this is the choice that we're making in these kinds of ways, like as a nation, as a society, as our values, like a lot of this stuff is unsaid and unexamined. Yeah. And it's why do, just why the way do you think it is. that is? Mm, I don't know to maintain the to maintain the power. Uh, but why would like why would ordinary people like not want to talk about it as much? Or do you mean that like the powers that that be corporate media is insane? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's an intentional effort to keep us kind of unengaged or divided or point the finger at something else you know they'll be like the water's bad because of mexico or something you know like oh yeah oh yeah just like something ridiculous you know like just kind of uh yeah i don't know there's a real uh uh surreptitiousness to the way that it's hard to uh identify the problem the target for change Mm -hmm. like I just don't think people think about it. I don't even think people like question it the way things are and that the way that, you know, these basic human rights like food and shelter and water are not guaranteed. There's an idea that is pervasive in American culture that there are people who deserve things and there's people who yeah. don't. And if you don't, you know, have a job, do this paperwork, have this kind of uh abilities and your physical and mental health and it's like you're yeah you're not good enough for these basic needs and deserve to suffer which i think is also a a form of social control to keep that kind of like lower lowest caste in our country entrenched there and keep people there and like make them visible like literally like i think some of the the reluctance or the hesitation to just like house people is part of this idea that it's like, no, they don't deserve it. And it's like, kind of like yeah. you have to like scare people into working or give people this specter of, of poverty that it's like, that could be you. It's like a constant reminder that if you yeah. fall out of line, you're going to be on the street and no one is going to love you. No one, everyone's going to walk right past you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wonder if some of the people that like I count as friends now would no longer be my friends if I was homeless. And I think, I think it probably would be a, a, it could be a fair amount. I'm not going to say it is. I'm not going to say a number for certain, but I could see it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's I not mean, because they, they owe me any ill will or malice, but I think it would just be a revulsion, like a disgust from the proximity to it. Yeah. Like this totally. is someone I know. Mm-hmm. And that proximity like changes everything. Because then it goes from being this spectacle to being a potential reality. Totally. Totally. And and I I think a lot of homelessness is misunderstood that like a lot of people are hiding in shame that they don't have a home, you know, Uh, you know, maybe like living in their car or something like that. You know, it's not like people are really 
everyone who's homeless, it's happening to a lot more people than I think people understand. Like, it's not just the people like intense on the street. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's not something that people want to talk about because obviously it's very like, because of what I just mentioned, you don't want people to judge you differently for like sleeping in your car or like yeah. having to like sleep on someone's couch. Totally. And yeah, sorry, this is a, this is a PBS documentary advertisement. <laughs> I was watching a documentary um, about brainwaves. I don't know what it was about, but um, exactly. But what they were showing was um, this uh, classism that we have ingrained in us is actually uh, affecting our perception of homeless people. So oh. like, Yes, they did this interesting study where they had all these MRIs, whatever, hooked up to people's brains and we're just showing them different images. And when you see a human face, your brain makes some kind of wave that's like, I recognize this as a person, whatever face they're making, whatever skin color, whatever age, whatever, you know, all, all these human faces, you kind of just go blip, it's a human. And they also were, you know, as the control, we're showing people just like random objects and so there would be no blip and when they show people pictures of homeless people they do the same the brainwave does the same thing as an object it oh. doesn't register them as a human it's just like oh it's an inanimate object like we've been trained to ignore people to that extent that they're to dehumanize people to that extent that it's like literally not tracking in your brain <laughs> so Thank you, capitalism. Dear capitalism, we appreciate how you've instilled upon our minds the concept of meritocracy. America should really be, America is less a democracy. It's more of a America to cockocracy. <laughs> All right. That worked a lot. I've been trying for the past like month to figure out like a portmanteau of America and meritocracy. And that was my first time oh. saying it and it did not hit. Did not hit. <laughs> Sounded like cock in the middle. <laughs> Ameritocracy. 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 The meritocracy <laughs> is the biggest lie ever. Ameri. Nope. Ameritocracy. Yeah. That's such a lie, though. I mean, I mean, so much of so much of everything about your trajectory in America is like predetermined. Yeah. By your by the zip code you were born into. Yeah, and people love the exceptions, you know. People are like, well, that's not true. Look at this one guy. And it's like, yeah. yeah. I love but reading. it's 95% true. Yeah, but, like, if you look at the statistics, it, you're basically, like, saying, like, oh, look, a lottery, someone won the lottery, so everyone must win the lottery, right? Like, it's America. Oh. In America, you win the lottery. That's literally what people are saying when they're saying, like, meritocracy is a thing and that you can like elevate your social your economic socioeconomic status like mm. that easily you're basically betting on as rare an event of an event as like winning a jackpot totally and but because of that instilled belief it makes us think that like oh if i work hard enough i can do better and if i'm not doing better it must mean i'm not working hard enough and if other right. people are doing worse, it's obviously because they're not working hard enough. But, you know, we see contradictions all the time and we just say like, oh, the system is broken. 
Like it will see people who like maybe we didn't perceive as working hard enough, but got ahead, got further ahead. It'll be like, oh, they're whatever. They're rich. It's a it's an anomaly. And then sometimes you'll see people that um, are doing more, but are further behind. You'll say like, oh, well, you know, they just got unlucky rather than saying like, oh, maybe meritocracy isn't actually a real thing in this country. You'd say like, oh, no, no, these are just exceptions. I'm not changing how I view the world because how I view the world is clearly correct. Right, right. Yeah, and there's incentive for capitalism to keep a meritocracy around because like I mentioned, if you think that the more you work, the more success you'll get, why not work harder? You'll produce more or your employers because you you know that or you believe that you will get ahead in life if you do so. Mm-hmm. Ahead in professional status and salary. Right. Because we don't even consider At- life to be anything but like what you do and what your st- what your position is. And the cost the cost of prioritizing your work and life and salary are just like uh, things that are intangible that just don't have a lot of high priority for people or don't really make the make the calculation for the trade-off. Just like the energy that you have for your friends and family, volunteering, being connected to your community, you know, so much. And I know that we've talked about this already at length and you've talked about it on your podcast a bunch. But like so much of the script and the routine that people are in is this nine to five work day where you kind of like come home, you're tired, you make some kind of meal, you watch some TV, you go to sleep and you're back at work the next day. And this kind of like and yeah, and people people, I think, end their work day with just a a sense of like, you know, depletedness. Yeah. Which civic engagement is hard, community engagement, family engagement, you know, like there's all those things take more uh, social energy that people expend way too much at work. And they have less time. Yeah, they have less time for their communities, for their families. Learning, learning things, unionizing. (laughs) (laughs) This is America. We don't do unions anymore. Yeah, I can't wait for the uh, for everyone to start bitching about their TV show quality. That should be a big <laughs> thing. Yeah, both the writers' strike and the actors' strike. There, it's awesome. I fucking, I swear to God, the teachers need to get in on this. The oh, for sure, need to get in on this. Uh, yeah, I think like, more. Strike. I think this like people should take this momentum and like. Right. Because I've seen a disturbing trend of like all of these like companies like now that COVID is behind us, they're trying to revoke all of these like all of these like freedoms that they've given workers. And a lot of people are just going with it. But like I say, I say fight, fight back, because if you don't fight back now, then they're like, it's not going to get any better. Nope, nope. It's totally the just the frog in the boiling water thing. You're just gonna like repeal this stuff real slow. All of a sudden, you're back in the fucking office, working there, commuting. And you'll have less. You'll have less amenities. You'll have like more of a like probably like more things to do because 
oh, well, with layoffs, the the work number of the amount of work doesn't go away, just the amount of people to do that work. So of course you're gonna be expected to do more work. And why would they expect you to do less work in the future? Like that's <laughs> never gonna happen. Because thank you, dear cap dear capitalism. Thank you so much. <laughs> For providing us the philosophy of endless growth. If you put your mind to it, you can just keep going higher. You can keep growing, keep expanding, keep growing, keep expanding. And if you ever stop growing, that's bad. Someone has to suffer. Oh, man. I kind of I kind of love that ideology, though. <laughs> of constant growth? That's kind of... I mean, I obviously think about it in a different way than, than the application to capitalism. But How yeah, I kind of think it? about, well, a lot of the things I pursue, I'm not necessarily trying to get great at or pursue, you know, I'm not trying to pursue things in a mm, capitalistic or achievement kind of model. I'm really just doing it to grow, like, like just like practicing different things, mm -hmm. uh, writing, you know, like that's, that's, those are things that I just do uh to just get better at slowly and i count that as a as a success you know yeah i mean i i think that there is so i think that there is like a lot of value in growth especially in like when you're trying to go like learn something new but i also think that the concept of endless growth isn't very mindful oh sure because sure. a lot of it capitalist uh, quarter system like every quarter should be a growth right right, right. like each quarter yeah yeah and, and if you we like to take a lot of that philosophy and put it into our own like internal like mindset and like judge ourselves from it so there's like like uh, like mm -hmm. growth mentality is a big thing these days right like people want to talk about oh just like push yourself to your limits constantly keep growing keep growing keep growing but then the question is like, well, you don't have as infinite limits as a corporation. You are, you, your time is already being split in a lot of different ways. Your energy is being split. And when you hit walls, it's a lot harder to, sometimes it's hard to get past those walls. And I, what I see in a lot of people who focus on a lot of growth is that when, then the question becomes like, what is enough? Like how, at what point do you stop? What do you do when you stop growing? Because at some point you will stop growing. And if your whole mindset was this growth mindset mm. that you need to grow to improve, to like be happy, what happens when that stops? Yeah, I can, I can tell you from personal experience, this is something that I've actually been struggling with this summer a lot because I've had some, uh, health problems that have caused me to be on restrictions for a lot of the summer. Uh, most of it is that I ruptured my eardrum and uh, I have all of these limitations in what I can do. And so, so much of what I enjoy, like, I'm like, oh, I'm practicing getting better at swimming. I can't do that anymore. I can't do like weightlifting. I can't do anything with a lot of exertion. And to have that, those moments of growth taken away from me it's been a real it's been a real difficult thing i don't know how to um analogize that to uh to like corporate behavior <laughs> well we don't we but don't have to analogize it we can just talk about your experience because that's actually really interesting not many people in my audience will have experienced a moment where they 
something stopped them from growth. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been interesting. It's like one of the it's one of the things that I felt like I had kind of figured out. Like I was like, I can maintain my mental health anywhere, anytime. You know, I've been traveling. I felt like I was so versatile. Yeah. I felt like uh, I had mastered something. And to the point that I have even like quit drinking, like I just don't drink anymore. Like my mental health is just like oh, wow. good. And good for I, like, you. Damn, like, I, just, I just don't even care about alcohol anymore. I still drink occasionally, but it's just a lot less uh, frequent and kind of default in my life, I guess. But yeah, so then just kind of having to come to terms with these like physical uh, limitations. I just have been like, the transition from being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want physically uh, to being limited has been difficult to, uh, to process mentally. Like it's, you know, it's that interlinking between the physical and mental health. Like I've been feeling it and just not having my physical outlets has been a drain on my mental health. It's been exhausting, which, yeah, has put me at a stop, has put me at a standstill. Have you, <laughs> have you thought about like, like how have you been hand, how have you been coping with it? Or, or do you feel like, I don't know, how have you been trying I've, to cope with it? I've been trying, <laughs> this is hilarious because I've been having like conversations with my doctors about this too. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm like looking for ideas here, here how to manage my mental health and, um, they were like, one doctor actually started talking about alternative therapies. And I was like, are you talking about mushrooms, man? <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about Zoloft. He was talking about anti-anxiety. <laughs> like, well, of course, oh! he's not going to talk about mushrooms. <laughs> I talked to him about mushrooms after that, though. Nice. I was like, look into it, man. <laughs> <laughs> not, as a, and not as a recreational drug user, just as someone who... Uh, is in the mental health research field and uh, understands that like there's a lot of medicinal qualities to psychosyllabin, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, people but, have been using it for countless generations. Like, can it be commodified? Will be the question, or will it be bastardized into a commodified, uh, you know, pharmaceutical thing? Um, but, I think um, you know the answer to that. So thank you, ca- dear capitalism. <laughs> thank you for making it so much more efficient for us to get access to things that are naturally produced in in like <laughs> the places we live by selling us the things that we had growing and that we could grow ourselves uh, in conveniently uh, conveniently accessible ways. Thank you so much. Makes it so much more efficient. Appreciate it. Love paying someone for these naturally occurring medicines. Life is always more efficient with a middleman. Ideally, yeah, right? more middlemen, the better. Yes, more paperwork also is good. <laughs> <laughs> more administrative burden, rules. But uh, but like, let's chat about mushrooms a bit, because you know, I'm I'm like I have an interest in mushrooms too. Yes. Um, so, um, what? So what kind of like research have you seen that like inspires you about? It's, you know, it's something that's so good for trauma 
because the way that trauma works is it hardwires these neurons in your brain that get you into this flight or fight response all the time, like during your daily life, which, which is something that really limits people's executive functioning and like ability to like make informed decisions when you're always under this, like your most intense reactionary state possible. And yeah, I mean, this is this, this is the brain science of what trauma is. It's these like hard, hardwired neurons, just like firing all the time, which, which causes a lot of suffering for the person experiencing it. And the, the idea with like using psychedelics as like medical therapy assisted kind of, um, substance is that you can actually like intentionally rewire or strengthen other pathways in your brain that are not this trauma response all the time. So yeah. it's, it, it just like changes people's lives that they have a lot more control over their thoughts and reactions. And I think people don't understand that so much of this like kind of behavior that we see from people who are mentally ill is totally trauma response. And yeah. it's, it's erratic. It's scary. You know, people are like, ah, put him in jail. I'm scared. <laughs> and it's just like simply because they have a lot of trauma. And it's actually very recently has been defined as a human rights violation for someone with a mental illness, a disability rights violation for someone with a mental illness to be um, treated by the criminal punishment system, you know, yeah. to be met with that care of policing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so great that we're finally starting to recognize that because like, it's, it's such, it's like infuriating, infuriating that we as a society, we've accepted that mental health is an important thing. But when we see people suffering like mental health crises, like right in front of us, we're like, something is wrong with them. Like, they are bad people. Like we need to get rid of them. Oh, hell yeah. It's crazy. If you yeah. start digging into like the relationship of, of society with its most like vulnerable citizens, people, if you ask questions and get down to it, people who are really like hardline, like these people are their own faults, you know, whatever they deserve this because of this, whatever it's really scary. It's really like, Oh my God, like you actually think they don't deserve to be alive. Like you actually think like this, it's weird. It's bad. Like, yeah. yeah. Ugly. It, it's like saying like looking at someone with a broken leg and being like, we should shoot them. Like they are no good. <laughs> exactly. Anymore. It's so, it's totally like big eugenics, like in a different, um, in a different like way that is way more like, societally acceptable it's so true i know i really like i really uh exactly like i really can't find enough ways to like illustrate the parallels to people about like mental illness and physical illness and how like so one of the things about it one of the interesting things about it is like mental illness has social implications right part of the symptoms of the illness is social. Like you're talking to yourself, you're acting erratic, there's paranoia, 
there's aggression. These are social symptoms, you know? Yeah. And so they, they uh, invite a lot less empathy and sympathy. So somebody with a broken leg might be sitting there in a wheelchair looking sad, being like, I broke my leg. Don't you feel bad for me? And people are like, yeah, we do. Let's, you know, let's make your environment accommodating. Let's, let's make it so that you have curb cut out so you can get around with your broken leg. You know, let's, let's change the actual environment to accommodate your disability. Right. Yeah. We and don't do anything like illness, that. For... It's like, yeah. With mental illness, it's like, I don't understand what the fuck is wrong with you. And you are going to jail. Like, it's yep. like, there's the, that is the environment response to mental illness, you know? Yeah. Treatment by cop. Yeah. 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 So going back on the psilocybin thing and also tying yes. in this whole mental illness. So like, I think there are a lot more traumas that we live with that we don't recognize as traumas. And one that I've been personally living with trying to outgrow and it's been a struggle is like the whole idea of a scarcity mindset versus abundance. Mm, I think scarcity yeah. mindset is a trauma. It's trauma totally, created totally. through like the inefficiencies of capitalism and the inefficiencies of like not having uh, and the struggle of being able to survive at like a young place. Like, uh, yeah, growing up, I, I definitely had a lot of scarcity mindset, both in the religion that I grew up in, but also like the means of my family. Like, um, it was made like money was made a constant was a constant reminder in my life. So if I grew up with this idea of scarcity. And now that I'm trying to get po now I'm trying to get post scarcity because I've learned that like a lot of those fears, a lot of those insecurities show up in really bad ways for me and like take me out of myself, make me less grounded, make it hard for me to appreciate like my relationships or certain interactions or the place I am because of my fear of having less and then not and not getting being able to get more. So, thank you dear capitalism. Thank you so much for the blessings you give us of scarcity, making us hungry dogs to constantly fight each other to Hopefully get pet by the master. <laughs> totally. And I think things I, like that yeah, psilocybin totally. <laughs> can really help with just like it can help with like more like more like readily accepted and maybe debilitating traumas. The ones that are less debilitating can also be explored through. Yeah. Yes. I think this, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think the word trauma and the discussion of trauma is something that is so like um, stigmatized, you know, it's something that's also become kind of casually tossed around like, oh my God, it's the Starbucks barista pronounced my name wrong. It's so, so traumatic. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, so many people like dismiss it dismiss it completely as like a thing it's just like you know get over it or whatever it's yeah. like that's like going to war is trauma you know that's trauma and <laughs> yeah uh, like grow a pair sissy like <laughs> you, yeah. you didn't die for your country blah 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 but like yeah but like we live through very real experiences through our whole lives like of 
course, we're going to deal with traumas through there. No one's life is perfect. Yes. And the, and the result is this, uh, you know, different way of thinking that your, your thinking is, is already one tracked into these trauma responses of taking you out of the present. People don't even notice it. I yeah. think, you know, easily the pandemic, the pandemic is a trauma that everyone experienced. It was a long-term oh, trauma. Yeah. And it like affected you know? the society in like huge ways, like changed how we interacted with each other, like literally changed what kind of like certain industries, certain like events, like beer fests don't happen as much. And like that really hurt the microbrewery you know, like scene, like less microbreweries were able to come out. So thank you capitalism for making it so that these uh, global diseases can fl- can uh, uh, result in massive changes to how we live our lives because we don't have any support for <laughs> when these when the safety ne- when we need the safety net the most and it is uh, full of holes not so helpful <laughs> yeah and and the fact that our pandemic response was completely guided by measures of capitalism oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. we gotta get the economy back so we probably should return to work soon yeah. like literally people were saying like on tv like hey i'm okay if like grandma and grandpa die if it means yeah. that we can get back to starbucks totally totally i mean yeah i mean that shit was really real and um in iowa too with the agriculture industry i really i cannot emphasize enough how powerful they are in the state this there was this big uh moment when um all of these you know cattle who are being harvested for the meat eaters they they were on this timeline during the pandemic and they were like well if we don't you know process slaughter these animals uh in this time frame like they're all just gonna like die and they're gonna be worthless and you know they're just gonna be a loss of uh they're Capital. resources. They're not animals. Yes. And so, right. I mean, right. But yeah. But yeah. So the, so the governor like forced, I mean, there were some uh, jobs that were exempt or, you know, during that like whole, especially that first like two weeks of the, of the public health emergency. Yeah. A lot when no one really knew what was going on. Oh, everyone thought everyone was going to die, you know? Yeah. And oh, yeah. the governor forced or, or, excluded meatpacking plant workers from any kind of like labor uh, exemptions. So the meatpacking plant workers, you can guess who those people are. They're not white people. Yeah. You know? And, and yeah, and the governor forced those people to go into work. And it was like, like, especially when the town is kind of rural, it's like half the town works at the meatpacking plant. So it's like, everybody's going to be exposed to this, deadly virus at the time that we all thought we were you know literally gonna die from and yeah yeah it's it's crazy it's just like how how can you do that to people (sighs) but it happened you know yeah and this is our yeah current governor yeah she's crazy thank you capitalism for making it easier to see people as resources and uh resources to extract labor from yes and the the depths of exploitation possible we never really i never really imagined that it was possible to like 
value some profit over an animal over like a human life but it is yeah. oh it but yeah they find a way they find a way and a lot of it does come from that view of like well those who have more those who are worth more are thus more valuable people and more human mm -hmm. those who have less are less human and and it's important to keep people in a position where they need that job so bad that they're not going to be like, no, I'm not coming to work. That's a health hazard. Yeah. You know? Because if you it lose that job, your mortgage is at risk. Your health care is at risk. Like, sometimes it maybe your citizenship is at risk or, like, your visa is at risk. Like, there is a lot yeah. of risk to losing a job. All part of the equation when they're just like, yeah, no, go to work. Yeah. 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 And I'd say that one of the most, it, like, like you said, we've talked about, we talked about this a bit earlier with the writer and the actor strike going on right now. Full support of, like, I think people need to realize that if you are a worker, if you are a laborer, you are against your employer. Your employer is incentivized to give you as little as possible, to make your conditions as bad as possible, extract as much value out of you as possible. So you are playing a losing game if you aren't trying, if you aren't fighting back and getting as much as you can out of your employer. It's unfortunate, but like unions were one of the only ways like are one of the only ways that like workers can get anything. Yeah. I, yeah. We need to have a general strike. 100% solidarity. Nobody yeah. go to work. Yeah. Maybe on election day, 2024. And the demands include paid vacation for everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts like, that like we don't we hardly yeah. get much paid vacation even at the best places. People talk about taking like 4 to 5 weeks like for the whole year. Like that's like bare minimum in Europe. And we're talking about like this is like the best of the best spots in the US. Totally. Oh, right. I know. And I mean that's kind of what I was thinking when you were talking about like the the transaction and the power dynamic between you and your employer. It's like, man, when I think about like some places that have all these incredible benefits, you know, it's like that just, that just makes it even more, more crazy that like you're still losing, <laughs> you know, yeah. the value that you're yeah. bringing is still beyond all of those benefits, like just your body, your mind, whatever you're selling or whatever you're providing that company. Like it's gotta be it's worth, worth much more than that. It's right? worth more. <laughs> Yeah. And like we we're trained, we're taught to like devalue our own self-worth. And like this is something that I had to to kind of like come to terms with in dating life too that like I wasn't valuing myself very highly like both uh, like in any context. And because of that like I'd sell myself short and like because of that I'd take like I'd accept poor working conditions because I mm. thought that was what I was worth. And people, we all reinforce it too, right? Just think about like yeah. how yeah. replaceable you are, you know, like, like, you know, just, I guess, I guess in the idea of like breaking picket lines, you know, uh, it's like, yeah, this with the writers and the actors is kind of all interesting with AI as kind of a scab. <laughs>
AI but, um, will never be able to create though. It will only be mm -hmm. able to like to pull from the past, but it won't be able to do anything ingenious. Right. Hmm. And I think yes. I think we as people, like dear listeners, please value yourself higher. You are worth more than your labor. You are worth more than the than the things you tell yourself about your own limits. You're worth more than your scarcity mindset. And I am running low on battery. So do you have any final thoughts, Tessa, before <laughs> inevitable <laughs> demise? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Double. Ditto. Like, yeah. Well, thank um, you so much, that. Tessa, for joining. It was so much fun to talk. And we'll definitely have you on again. Yes. And thank talk you. Talk soon. Good yeah. Good luck. And thank you for listening. If you're listening on YouTube or Spotify, please like and subscribe and share. Follow us on Instagram for more updates. And as always, embrace your chaos with kindness. <laughs> <laughs>